0: In reference to the scriptures that we're going through this morning, I was thinking about the entire world in darkness. Sometimes you get that when you're on a flight at night and you'll go, th- you'll see, you know, the ground and you'll fly over a city and there'll be patches of light. And it's always nice to know there's something down there. But I think of all the world in darkness and that means suffering and oppression and sickness and futility and death. And then somewhere in this dark world two women get together And suddenly the light goes on, and they're filled with joy and gladness and satisfaction and hope. And these women are not gifted, they're not powerful, they're not rich, they're not famous. They're humble and lowly. We would not know them except for this passage right here. And yet, these women have the experience what everyone would love to have an experience. Because God is directly touching their lives. You know, this is really simple, but it is profound that joy and satisfaction and life come from knowing God and being exalted by Him. That's what we're looking at this morning in Luke chapter 1, and I'm reading from verse 39. It says, Now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to a city of Judah and entered the house of Of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth by way of recap. The angel has just told Mary that God's spirit would overshadow her, and by his power, she would conceive a baby in her womb. And this child will be the Messiah promised by God. And Mary says, okay, here I am. Behold the bond slave of the Lord. Be it done to me according to your word. Now what? In her mind, she thinks, I have to get up to Elizabeth right now. Because she's the only person who can relate to Mary in her predicament. Now, I know that word is not in our text, predicament, but she is in a very difficult situation, puzzling, embarrassing situation, difficult, perplexing. She's in a mess. Because who can she talk to right now? Who in the world is going to believe her? Hi, I am pregnant with the Messiah. I'm not married. It's momentous news, but if she talks to anybody, nobody's going to believe her. They'll think she's crazy or she's trying to cover up her sin. Joseph doesn't know anything. She's engaged to him. When he finds out, he's going to say, I don't have any choice. I'm going to divorce her secretly because I don't want her to get killed for breaking our engagement. So the only person that's going to be able to relate to Mary is Elizabeth. And the angel said that God was blessing her right now. She, Mary just heard her relative Elizabeth is six months pregnant. And she knows that Elizabeth can't have children. She's an elderly lady. She's done, right? But she just found out she's six months pregnant. This is also going to be kind of awkward, kind of weird. So they're kind of in the same boat right now. And I think Mary doesn't want to be around in Nazareth right now. So her mind is, i got to go to Elizabeth. Now, this hill country in Judah indicates an area south of Jerusalem. The main city there is Hebron. And Hebron traditionally was a city of priests. Zacharias is a priest. Elizabeth is married to him. Now, it's about 60 miles from Nazareth that this single woman is going to travel now. No phone, so she can't say, "Hey, Elizabeth, is it okay if I kind of drop in on you for a while?" She can't even let her know that she's coming. And I wonder, has she ever been to Elizabeth's place? Sixty miles out there? Maybe her folks brought her there when she was a kid or something. And now she's gone there by herself. Does she have to ask the way? Again, no sat nav. So she's just, I gotta go there. And she gets going. And then she's going to just pop in and say, Hi, mind if I stay here for a while? So what's going to happen? Well, nobody is prepared for what happens next. Let's read in verse 41. And it happened when Elizabeth heard, oh, I'm sorry, verse 40. She entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. Now all Mary does is go into the house and say, Hi. Or whatever you do to say hi in those days. I think you say something like, Grace. And it's really nothing more than hi. Hi. And then Elizabeth hears, and this six month baby in her womb kicks, leaps, because he's been filled with the Holy Spirit. Isn't that amazing? This is a reason why we have to protect life in the womb. Because a sixth-month gestating baby in the womb can be filled with the Holy Spirit and be joyful. You know, babies kick in the womb. But this is an expression of joy. Now you remember, the angel told Zacharias earlier in chapter 1 that this baby would be filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. This is the fulfillment of that word right now. Don't you think it's interesting how it happens? Mary doesn't get some kind of a vision. You must go to Elizabeth right now. I have a mission for you. Yes, Lord. It's just, I gotta go. And God gets her there so that John can be filled with the Spirit right now. I just think it's interesting how God works and we're, most of the time, unaware of how God is leading us and directing us. But, you know, he's sovereign. He's in control of our lives. Now, you know, John was filled first with the Holy Spirit, but then Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit. And, you know, this, this experience is what God says he would do in the last days, this is what the Apostle Peter talks about in Acts chapter 2 where the disciples have been praying in an upper room and a rut, the sound of a rushing wind tongues of fire over each of them, they're filled with the Holy Spirit they go out on the street worshiping God praising Him for His mighty deeds and There's there's Jews from every part of the world right there. It's the Feast of Pentecost. It's one of the great three feasts where Jews were required to gather in the place where God put his name, which is Jerusalem. And they're all going, what is this? We all understand them. That guy's talking in my language. And Peter gets up and says, this is what God said through the prophet Joel. And in the last days I will pour out of my Spirit on all flesh, young and old, men and women, and they will prophesy. Now, this idea of pouring, when you're pouring something, it's not drip, drip, drip. It is a flow, a stream, and that implies supply. It implies quantity. It implies continuous. Now, this is not the day of Pentecost here. Jesus hasn't been born yet. He's developing and all, but this is not the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And yet, right at the very beginning, when God is beginning to fulfill his promises and set things in motion here he is pouring out his Holy Spirit on these two women and a baby. And what it is, is that he is coming into contact with them. He is communicating himself to them. They are coming under his influence. And you know, one of the objections to the disciples being filled with the Holy Spirit and speaking other languages and being happy is that some smart Alex say, well, they're just filled with sweet wine. In other words, they're drunk. And Peter says, no, it's 9 o'clock in the morning. It's too early for that. And then he goes on to explain This is what the prophet Joel talked about. It's coming under the influence, but not of an intoxicant. Because an intoxicant impairs you. It reduces your responses. It, well intoxicate it comes from the word toxin meaning poison it diminishes your responses it heightens other things but it mostly impairs you it messes you up same with drugs there's a pleasurable rush but mostly it impairs you it is also toxin but here this coming under the influence of God is actually good for you. It heightens awareness. It communicates knowledge and understanding. Like Elizabeth here. She knows certain things right now. God has communicated this to her. She knows instantly that Mary is right now the mother of the Messiah. He know, She knows she, Mary is with child. And she could not have known that by looking at Mary. Oh, gee, Mary, you look like six days pregnant. <laughs> she could not have known that just by looking at her. She knows that God spoke to Mary... And Mary believed the angel. She could not have known that. She wasn't there. She's 60 miles away. She knows that her baby did not just kick because that's what babies do in the womb. She knew that her baby leaped for joy. I've never heard of a joyful baby in the womb. Now, you know, we would talk to our babies in the womb and say, this is the voice of your father. I want you to learn this voice because when you come out, I want you to obey me. (laughs) When I tell you to go to bed, sweetheart, you're going to go to bed. Do you hear me? It didn't work. But we did it anyway, just for fun. Hey, baby, I love you or else we would talk to them. And yet she knows my baby leapt in the womb for joy. That's tremendous. Now with this heightened knowledge comes heightened understanding. Elizabeth is aware now that God is with them that he's filling them with himself. That here is the Messiah that kings and prophets longed to see and never saw. He's in my house right now. Of all the places in the world, the Messiah is in my house right now. And at the same time as this heightened knowledge and understanding comes this overwhelming joy that lifts her up. You know, I was looking for synonyms about joy and they just talk about how you can be elevated by joy, transported. It's this idea of being lifted up so glad you kinda transcend the existence. Now, that's why she cries out in a loud voice. You ever thought about that? You know, Mary comes in, she's right over there, no need to yell. Hi, Elizabeth. Ah! Now, you know, if Elizabeth were a football fan, and she was into it, and her team scored a goal, it would be natural for her to respond in a loud voice, right? Carried away with strong, intense emotion. And I have sat next to a woman who cared deeply about football and saw her team score a goal. And I thought my glasses were going to crack. But how much more now when she grasps that God is fulfilling his word, the Messiah is right here in my house, she says, you're blessed among women. Your child is blessed. My baby is jumping for joy. She says it in all capital letters. She's gripped with this joy because God is here. He's touching. He's communicating. And these women are so aware of their low position. And this is the amazing thing. You grasp the greatness of God. You grasp how low you are. And God is blessing? God is doing a tremendous work? He's here, and I get to be glad, and God is blessing me, and I'm not dead? How amazing is that? And see, this is the truth that they're experiencing. You can read this on a page, and it doesn't hit you but they're experiencing the fact that God blesses the humble. Now, Mary is also filled with the Holy Spirit right now, and she worships the Lord because he blesses the humble and he judges the proud. Verse 46, Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my savior, for he has regarded the lowly state of his bait servant for behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed for he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his seed forever. Now, this poem or song of Mary is called the Magnificat. That's the Latin translation of the first word, and that is Mary is exalting the Lord. She's magnifying him. And you might hear those terms used and think, magnifying? Do we get out a magnifying glass and, oh, there's a big old ant there? What are we doing here when we magnify? Well, God is already great, He's already huge. And it's not like he needs us to tell him he's fabulous. You know? Like he starved for affirmation. And he says, I need it again, guys. I need you to tell me that I'm fabulous. Like he needs that. Like somehow he's incomplete without us going, mm-hmm. keep going till he's done this time. It's nothing to do with that. It has to do with us and our understanding, our apprehension of God's greatness. And as we worship and as we think about the nature of God, his character, what makes him great, you know, that increases our understanding, our grasp, our apprehension of God is enlarged. That's why worship is so important. Not for God's sake. Worship is for us to get a grasp on God. And again, this being together depending upon the Holy Spirit to open our minds, this is where our understanding of God grows. It needs to grow. Because we come built in with a little tiny view of who God is. And mostly we want to stay away because he's going to wreck our lives. So we just don't want to know about God. I don't want to know. Don't tell me. When in reality... Here's how glorious God is, that he actually goes after us, and we don't want to know God. And we think, get out of my life. Quit breathing down my neck. And he runs us down, and we go, what do you want? He goes, I want to save you. Oh, all right. When C.S. Lewis got saved, he had done everything he could to get away from God. And he says, there was no more dejected unbeliever in all of England than me on that night when I got saved. I did not want to do it. And I think about myself. I didn't want to get saved either. That was the last thing in the world I wanted to do. So look at me. I'm one of them. How did I get here? See it's it's crazy, but God God is fabulous. And our minds need to be opened up. We need to be more aware of God's goodness. And you know, the more you do this, the more you realize God is so good, he's terrifying. It is amazing how good God is. So she says, my soul magnifies the Lord. She's just had this incredible enlargement in her understanding about God. She's never experienced this kind of goodness before. And you notice how she puts it. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. This is very similar to Psalm 103, verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Now this is the idea of There are no conflicting interests here. There is no, well, I'm going to praise the Lord, but I wish I was at the game right now. This is with all that is within me, I am responding to God's goodness. And I want you to notice how she addresses the Lord. God, my Savior. Isn't it interesting that under the influence of the Holy Spirit, Mary is freely acknowledging that she needs a Savior. She needs the Savior who is coming. And you know, Jesus also died to save Mary. And she can't save anyone because she was born in the same way as you and I, and she knew she needed Jesus to save her. Now, you know, if you need saving, you also can't save anybody else. So she is blessed by God as someone who needs to be saved by God. And she says that under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Now, she is worshiping God because the Most High blesses those who do not deserve it. This is the amazing sort of understanding that she has here. And she's going back and forth between the lowly, the humble, and the proud. Now, how do you decide where you're at there? How do you decide if you're lowly or if you're proud? A lowly person is aware of the fact that they are low, that there's somebody above them, that is God. A proud person thinks, well, I'm superior. A proud person thinks, and is convinced that they're better and higher than they really are. But the question is, how do you figure that out? What's your measuring rod? You know the old thing about Mary Poppins. She's got a a measuring tape that measures everybody, and everybody has their own. Here's Michael. He's a squirt. Here's... Jane, she's that. Well, measure yourself, Mary Poppins. Okay. Mary Poppins, practically perfect in every way. (laughs) Way to go. Is that your tape, Mary? Where's the evaluation? How do you know where you're at? See, a proud person measures by everybody else and himself and thinks, well... Hey, I'm pretty good. There are a few people who are better than you, but most people are not. So where does that put you? Good. Pretty good. Are you perfect? Nah, nobody's perfect. So that kind of puts me in the, I'm in the ballpark, everything's cool. Next. But what happens if you have an absolute standard? And the absolute standard is Jesus. And you should be everything that Jesus is. So measure yourself by Jesus. How do you measure up to him? How do you look in comparison to him? You remember that Jesus and his disciples were on a trip. And they got done for the day, and he says, what were you guys talking about while you were on the road there? And they all shut up because they had been talking about which one of them was the greatest. But now they're standing in front of Jesus. It's like, oh, yeah, that is kind of dumb, isn't it? How do they measure up next to Jesus? Is Peter hot stuff now? Or John? are any of those guys? How are you? See, if you measure yourself next to Jesus, you have an absolute standard. And Jesus is the absolute standard by which every person in the universe is going to be judged. That includes angels. He is the standard for what is right. And you have to measure up to him. So, where am I next to Jesus, next to God? And you see people in the Bible who have encountered God. And Isaiah saw the Lord in Isaiah chapter 6. He's in the temple. He sees the Lord sitting on a throne. The angels are crying out, Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The doorposts are shaking, filling up with smoke. Isaiah doesn't go, Hey, me and God, yeah. Isaiah goes, I am destroyed. Here he is in the presence of God, and he says, Woe is me. I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. But he's not the only one. Daniel encountered an angel of the Lord. And he says, When I saw him, my body retained no strength. My splendor was turned to dust and destruction in his presence. He just collapsed. That's what happens when you try to just be in God's presence. You're aware of everything that's wrong. But imagine being in the presence of God and He doesn't destroy you. But instead, His touch brings gladness and joy and understanding, life. See, this is what Mary is marveling at. He's regarded my lowly state, and I'm still alive. He who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. You know, holy means that God cannot do wrong. Everything that God is doing right now is holy. And a name is what you ought to think of when you hear something like the difference between Rolex and Timex, the difference between Aston Martin and Ford Fiesta. Does everybody get that? What should you understand when you hear the name of the Lord? Everything that He is. Gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth. By no means clearing the guilty, but visiting the punishment of the fathers on the children up to the third and fourth generation. God is going to judge the wicked. Um, God's name is good no shadow of evil and in verse 50 it says his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation that is also from Psalm 103 verse 17 but the loving kindness of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember his precepts to do them. Now, isn't it amazing? Here's who God is, and he is blessing and communicating his goodness to these women. And Mary goes on to say how God judges the proud, and blesses the lowly. So, again, the arrogant, because they think, hey, I'm better than everybody. They can also treat everybody any way they want, and it doesn't matter. So, you typically find the arrogant oppressing, bullying, doing wrong things to somebody else. And, you know, if you lie or you cheat or you steal, still, it's okay. Because they don't matter, and I matter, and so that's it. All wickedness comes from thinking you're better than you really are. And if you chase that one down, you'll find that it's true in every case. I did this because I'm better than anyone else. I can get away with this. And all sin is against God first. Did you know that? You cheat this person, but the first sin is against God because he said, don't do that. So God sees and God knows and God is justly angry at arrogance. So God judges them. He scatters the proud, and it's easy to do, because Psalm 1 says that the ungodly are like chaff, the bits of the wheat that you don't want, so you you run your oxen around it and break up the husk, and then you throw it up in the wind, and the wind blows the very light chaff this way, and your heavier grain drops down. So all your chaff ends up in a pile over here, and it's light, it's lightweight, and a Burns easy. That's all God has to do. The wicked, they scatter. They go off the thrones. They're not going to be the boss anymore. Do you know that the Antichrist is coming? And he's going to rule the world? He's going to sit on the throne. He can't keep it. So everybody's going to get what they want. And some people will make the world's most profitable corporation. And some people are going to get governments to do what they want. Everybody can get everything the way they want it, and then God will go, and that's it. Everything's destroyed. Nothing is worth anything. The true riches are what is not seen. They're eternal. To be rich is to belong to God because He bought you. He redeemed you from sin and death. Rich is God helping you in every way. Rich is God fulfilling His promises. Just like Mary says, he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers to Abraham and his seed forever. Rich is God fulfilling his promise to bring eternal life because his presence is with you. Now that's rich. So it says here in verse 56 that Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her house. Now, you know, if Elizabeth was already six months pregnant and she stayed another three months, that's the full pregnancy. So Mary is the one who saw John get delivered, saw Zacharias able to speak again eight days later. And that's why we have this account, because Mary either wrote it all down or else she just told it to Luke when Luke sat down with her and said, tell me about it. Tell me what happened. And she could, because she was there to see it all. So from this, what do we get? Here are the true riches to know God and to be exalted by God. Those are the true riches. Now, here's the question. Is that really true? And we have to ask that because people think this is the last place you would look to get your problems solved. Right? For example... Don't you have to address your economic problems right on? You know, if you're out of dough, you gotta deal with that. Or if you got health problems, then go to the surgery, get a specialist. Doesn't that make sense? Address the problem directly. Or if you're depressed, get a psychologist. Doesn't that make sense that you would deal with the problem head on? Instead of saying, you got to go to God? But see, all of these symptoms, and they're only symptoms, they only come from one cause, and that is no relationship with God. Let's say you take a branch on a tree and you break it off. Now, that branch is going to have problems bearing fruit. The leaves and the branch are going to dry out. And so what do you do? Do you suddenly invest in fruit production and try somehow to get the fruit happening on this thing? Or do you throw a bunch of water on it and try to get it to not dry out? See, those are all the symptoms. What it really needs is to be grafted back into a tree. And then fruit production is not an issue. And drying out is not an issue. And losing leaves are not an issue because you're dealing with the real problem. Disconnect from the tree. So, our real problem is no relationship with God. Everything else is a symptom the health issues that we have our ups and downs our depressions now you know the only solution is to reestablish that relationship with god and that's the point about jesus is that jesus came in order to take upon himself all of our sins everything that we've done because we're disconnected from God, our failures, our shortcomings, and He has paid for them. He died for them, and then He rose from the dead. Receiving Jesus as your Savior reconnects you to God, and that is the starting point for dealing with all the other problems. Because they will be dealt with. And what he does is he makes you a temple to be indwelt by his spirit. And when you're indwelt by the spirit of God, you can know God. You can understand him. And God communicates His joy. So, this is the real issue here. And I know that we deal with all kind of stuff. I deal with stuff. I'm not perfect by any means. I make mistakes. And I'm not proud of that. But seriously, the main issue is to be connected with God. And To be filled with His Spirit. That's not an automatic thing. Being born again, you're born again of the Holy Spirit. He is resident within you, yes. But then there's this added being filled with the Holy Spirit. And this is something that we are to seek and depend upon. In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul says, Be being filled with the Spirit. And it is something that we can either seek and pursue or forget about and ignore. And so what we want to be aware of is our dependence upon God and seek Him for that filling of the Spirit. Now, some people make out the filling of the Spirit as some kind of a magic bullet. And all of your problems are solved if you're filled with the Holy Spirit. And I don't think that is necessarily biblical because God also does certain things to humble us. But to hear some people say it, it's like, The angels are going to throw rose petals on your path forevermore because you're filled with the Holy Spirit. solves everything. Job, income, family, health. (sighs) Kaboom! Not necessarily so. But the value is that you are depending upon God and God does what He wills. Mary said, Behold the bond slave of the Lord. Here is the presence of the Lord to lift up the humble, to enable, to bless, and to even communicate joy, the joy of the Lord. So it's the starting place. It's the starting place. We begin in the Spirit. And we want to continue in the Spirit. So we humble ourselves because God gives grace to the humble. And then we ask to be filled. It's really no more complicated than that. It's a matter of dependence. Jesus said, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in Heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? So this morning, we want to depend upon the Holy Spirit. We want to ask Him, come into my life, fill me. Let me be under your influence. That's it. Shall we pray? Thank you, Heavenly Father, that you do these things in our lives, that you come near and you touch and you communicate, and you give. We're so glad that you're here right now. Thank you that you're not far. And we want to receive from you because we understand We're aware of your greatness. We're aware of our lowliness. We know we don't measure up to you. We thank you so much that Jesus died for our sins, that he has wiped them away like a cloud. That there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. And we pray that you would fill each one of us with your Holy Spirit, that our soul might rejoice in God my Savior. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. There are some people who need to come to Jesus and just say, Lord, save me now. Be my Lord and Savior. Please help them. And there are those of us who need to be filled. Please do that. We commit ourselves to you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.